Uh, and then field, field games. Every time a moon ball comes out, there's an incident. I mean, I'm not, like, I thought all the way back to junior high. I was involved in a youth group, strong youth ministry. When the moon ball came out, something memorable happened. And one thing that I saw today, this isn't what I'm going to get to, but one thing that I saw today when we did the little circle game, you know, the, that was a really fun game, by the way. I think we're going to do that as a church at some point. Um, but the blue team had some dudes on it that have never skipped leg day. I mean, where's Steven? Dude, when you kick that thing, I mean, it, it honestly, to borrow from our theme, it, it nearly went into orbit. Like, there, there was no chance. I mean, there were some real hope-filled dads that, like, ran over there like, no! That thing was gone. That thing was gone. But at one moment, I don't know if you saw this, but at one moment, that thing shot out of the circle, and it went careening down the hill. In my vantage point, I could see that there was a stroller in its path. Did you see this? I could not see the contents of said stroller, but as a, a, a dad who had kids in a stroller, there was a part of my fiber that panicked because that moon ball was on its way. And that thing kept rolling and rolling. I think there were people trying to chase it down, like stop it. But eventually it smacked into the stroller. Thank the Lord, no, nothing was in there. No kid was in that stroller, but that stroller, it took a beating. But it's one of those Bob strollers, so I mean... It's got no problem with moon balls. But one of the things that today reminded me of is that we're alive. It's so simple and so subtle, but today is a day that we're alive. And today is a day that we're given the gift of the present. I think it was Pete that prayed earlier, like we, we have this gift and it's today. And as we sang, we sang that eternal truth till he returns or Christ calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Like, we are actively in the presence of the living God, and it's just a, such a gift. Um, we're going to keep tracking with Ephesians tonight, and if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to dig into it in just a second. But really, that's the theme of this message tonight. One of the things, again, just to repeat what I've mentioned this morning, as I read through the book of Ephesians recently, within the last few months that I saw, was this little phrase, in Christ. And every time we saw, we, we read that phrase, every time we see it, every time we listen to it, it is a description, but more than a description, it's a declaration of what's different about us when we follow Jesus. That in Christ, we transferred over from something to something, and one of those things that we're going to see tonight is that in Christ, we're made alive. Kind of a bigger existential, kind of subjective question that I want to invite you into asking rhetorically tonight is, how alive do you feel? How alive do you feel? You know, it's interesting. You might have found yourself here at Mount Carmel for Summer Splash, and if you had to do one of those timelines where you got peaks and valleys, you might be at the peak right now. You might feel alive. You might feel like every, every fiber of your being is alive. Life is singing. There's new happening. Your family's doing well. Maybe for you, you're at the bottom of one of those peaks. And feeling alive is just hard to grab onto. Or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Maybe you feel like you're in neutral. Like you're just kind of coasting along, doing the day, starting early with the kids, going to work, coming back, being tired, whatever it might be. 
But the question that I want us to ask is, what is a prevailing definition of what it means to be alive, no matter what the context is that we face? Because as Pete just mentioned, we are all navigating something very, very different. And some of us are navigating heavy things, but the prevailing truth of God's word tells us that in Christ, we have been made alive. We have been made alive. I know for me personally, I'm kind of a mixture every day. There are days that I feel alive, I feel bold in the truth of what God has declared, but then there are other days that I too easily lose sight of this. I have days where I slide over into neutral. I have days where my selfishness, my pride, my own attitude and my failures get the best of me and are most readily available and not the life that Christ has to give. And really that mixture that I'm highlighting is what it means to be human. We navigate our flesh, and I'll get into that in just a bit. But Jesus comes, and Jesus has a purpose, and the purpose is declared all over the Gospels, but one pronounced moment is in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, the thief comes only to what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they, who's they? Us. I have come that they may have life. Then what does he say? Not just life, but life to the full. Life in every aspect of its definition is ours available to us tonight. And wherever you approach that truth, that declaration of Jesus and his intention for our life, I just want to invite you to just receive what God has to say to you tonight as we all ask that question. Are we alive? Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to start with verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says, as for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. That's where I stopped. Great, that's where I stopped. Thanks. (laughs) Now, just quick show of hands. If someone comes to you and says, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news, which one do you want first? For those of you who want the good news first, just raise your hand. Everybody, let's raise our hands tonight. Good news first. Wow. Okay, we've got some rare good news people first. How about those who want the bad news first? Why do we want the bad news first? Because the good news looks gooder in light of the bad news, right? Get it out of the way. Let's hear that bad news so that we know that there's something on the other side of that bad news in order to carry us. That's what the Apostle Paul is highlighting. But he's also highlighting past, present, and future. Really, the bad news rests in our past And the good news is something that's fully present, but not ready, already done yet. To be alive in Christ means to recognize what's dead in us. It's not necessarily comfortable. I mean, when you read those first three verses of Scripture with me, are you comfortable? (laughs) No. No, because it confronts us. It confronts our reality. Sometimes that can offend us, but really the only way to the good news of Jesus Christ is through the bad news and our understanding and reconciliation and accepting of the fact that this is true of us. What's true of us? What can be dead in us? First, dead in our transgressions and sins. What does the word sin mean? Sin essentially means to miss the mark. And what's the mark? What's the definition? As we navigate a world that's 
off kilter, confused oftentimes about what the mark is. The mark is God himself and his holiness. And that's the way that we were intended to live, Genesis chapter one and two, and then Genesis three and the rest of the scriptures happened. The story of people being broken and lost and God coming through Jesus Christ to rescue us. And it's a condition that isn't avoidable. It's an offense that we may commit. It's everything. It's our slips and falls. And Romans declares for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Second, what's dead in us is we follow the ways of this world. Now, what's interesting, and I want to park and just have a theological nerd moment for a moment, if you can hang with me. This passage is about spiritual conflict. In other words, it's a soul spiritual conflict with the things that are broken in this world. When we think about spiritual conflict or spiritual warfare, we often go to the concept of just Satan, our enemy, alone. Well, the reality is more robust than that, and this is the passage that tells us. There's three dimensions of spiritual conflict. It's the world and its systems. It's our flesh, my flesh, your flesh, and it's the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's what this passage is declaring to us. When you follow the ways of this world, right? That's why we're called to be in the world, not of it. To be beyond, to be set apart, to be holy. All, all of us also lived among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. And then thirdly, the spirit who's now at work in those uh, who are disobedient. We see that picture, those three things. First, the world and its trappings are opposed to the ways of God. One of the things that I love about camp is that we set it all aside. We set it all aside. There's an aspect of having a shared experience like this that just allows us to say, okay, we're just going to push all that worldliness away and we're going to live fully present to God and the people who's, who are right in front of us. Third, gratified the uh, sinful cravings of the flesh. What's meant by flesh, that's our human condition. That's really all of us. Uh, we have sinful cravings, and it's not just for ice cream. <laughs> I wrestle with that every day, and you wrestle with that every day. There's conflict. There's a battle going on, and there's a battle that's described in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old is gone, the new has come. That's our old ways. That's our flesh. That's our uh, persistent drift. And it takes examination and persistence and honesty and courage to be able to identify how that manifests itself in us. Now, as a result, as we fight these battles, the world, our flesh, the devil, what's the result? The result is this. And this is the truth, not comfortable, but the result that the scriptures say here is that we're deserving of wrath. But what did we just sing about? The wrath of God was satisfied. I love, by the way, Rich, Thanks for picking that one. <laughs> that was perfect. Rich uh, leads worship at Branch Church, which we just love. So we just kind of take this show on the road. It's awesome. But that's what it says. The wrath of God was satisfied. By our natures, we were by our natures deserving of God's wrath because of his perfectness, his holiness. We could not um, corons- correspond, be together with a God that is holy, but we were deserving of that wrath. Here's what I want you to understand. I want you to notice the past tense. Notice the past tense. Don't miss that. We were, you were. We were, you were. We were by nature deserving wrath because what Paul is doing is he's bridging the bad news and he's starting to go into the good. And he gives this pronounced, powerful statement in just a second, but here's what I want to say. This describes who we were before we were in Christ, but it still has a hold on us. 
what this description of is, of the first three verses in the second chapter of Ephesians, is what I drift to left into myself. Today, real time. Without intervention, without the Spirit of God at work within me, I drift in that direction of the old self. Now, as we know, verse 4 is a different path, and it starts with an interruption. I'm going to read it in the NIV in just a second, but I want you to hear these first two words in a different translation. It's the ESV. It says this, but God. But God. So we were all those things, but God. There's an intervention that's described in verse 4 that is incredibly beautiful. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love by which he loved us. So if you've got your scriptures with you, let's read 4 through 9. But because of his great love for us, otherwise, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in who? There it is again, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But God, this passage is packed with truth of who God is, first and foremost, and as a result, who we are when we're in Christ. And in order to know, we must discover whose we are. We are God's. He's made us alive in Jesus. What does this mean? To be alive in Christ is all about God. Here's what we know. This is God's character. God is rich in what? Mercy. God is rich in mercy. I've heard it said, and I hope this comes out right, that when you compare the words mercy and grace as it relates to God, mercy for us is not getting what we deserve. In other words, to not receive the punishment that we were due because of our sinfulness. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. And God does both. Mercy, not getting what we deserve. Grace, getting what we don't deserve. Are you tracking with me? And what we get is just life everlasting, the lavished nature of his grace. God is rich in mercy. Mercy is compassion. It's pity in a redemptive way. It's tenderness. Let me ask you this. Do you see God that way? When you think about God, do you consider him being a God who is rich in mercy for you? Abundantly, overpouring, overwhelming, that applies to us every single day. Second, here's the other truth we learn about God. To be alive in Christ is all about God. Who's God? God has great love for us. Did you hear those words? God's motivation is this. Because of the great love with which he loved us. That's his motivation. Because of his great love. Now we heard the word lavished and what we heard the word lavished this morning is is lavish means super abundance. It's like poured out in abundance. If you live in the Twin Cities, last week we were out of town. Apparently there was some water that was poured out in abundance through a rainstorm. 
Maybe, you've, maybe you experienced this. We were over at some folks' house from our church, and they have a sump pump, and it was running like nonstop. Like it kept cycling and cycling. And what happened was the dry, hard-packed ground was finally soaked in abundance with water that was needed. And that's a picture of our souls. When we don't know that God is a God of love, when we're outside of Christ, when we're drifting from him, that soil gets hard-packed to a degree. And what does God do? He pours out his grace and his mercy in abundance, in super abundance, so much so that we're soaked in that love. Who's God? Third, God has raised us up and seated, with Christ, seated us with Christ. One of the things that I love about weddings is when you're a guest, there's a seat that's been prepared for you. Sometimes I've gone to weddings where there's no assigned seats. I don't like that. Anybody else? Like you kind of wander through, you're like, where do I sit? And I've been at a wedding where I didn't know anybody. And I was like, where do I super sit? I have no idea. I think I'm out. I, honestly, I, I was like, I'm ready to bail. But one of the things that's really cool about a wedding where there's assigned seating and you've got a placard at that table is that place has been prepared for you. Has your name on it. Has your meal of choice on it. And it has a very specific place that was thought with intention. When it says here that he has raised us up and seated with Christ, it means literally that there is a place for us to sit with Jesus. I brought this chair up with me intentionally because eternally, eternally in heaven with God, there is a place that has been prepared for you with Jesus when you are in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I don't think about that every day. But if we could just keep that in mind a little bit more every day, how profound is that? That when this life ends, which it will for all of us, or when he returns, whatever comes first, there is a seat with Christ that's been prepared for you. It's got your name on it. It's ready at the banquet celebration that's all about Jesus. And there's something special about that. Here's the motivation. Why did he see this with Christ? Because again, here's God. He has incomparable riches of his grace. How did he express those incomparable riches of grace? We learn about it and it says he expressed them in kindness through Jesus. Man, there's just so much. There's so much. There's too much to cover in this talk. And I just want to encourage you, even tonight before you go to bed, read Ephesians chapter 2 again. And he expresses that in kindness. And he's prepared good works for us. Here's the thing. What's amazing about God is he redeems us for a purpose. And that purpose floods into every single area of your life. Verse 10, in other words, you are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece that's been prepared for good works well ahead of time. That's not just about punching a ticket to go to heaven when you die, but it's about living actively in the presence of Jesus through everything that you do, in your families, in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, whatever that is defined by. But you have been prepared. You have been created for a distinct and unique purpose that steps into who Jesus is in Christ to show those good works that come directly from the standing of what we have. To be alive in Christ is all about God. That's God's character. It's so rich. And if we're just reading it through, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to just pass right over it. Listen for who God is in that. Thirdly, to be alive in Christ means to walk in who we are in Jesus. 
And what does that mean? We are made alive with Jesus. We were dead. We've been made alive to the fullness in everything that we need. We are made alive in Christ. Second, we're saved by grace. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have grown up, I've had these just kind of vacillating experiences where I've just like held these weights and balances like good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Where do I net out? And that's human performance that we're crafted in. And oftentimes we project that onto God. And you hear this in our culture. Maybe you've battled with this. But there's a lot of people that think if you're just good enough in this world and in this life, then God will approve of you and receive you into his kingdom when this life is over or when he comes back. And this verse says profoundly that's not the case because we're saved by grace through faith. And that ought to be the most freeing reality that any of us experience in our life, that we are saved by his grace through faith. Remember when I was in college, this is just a really quick story, but one of the most incredible examples at a really important time that I needed to learn it, that I experienced of grace was through a friend of mine's father. Real quick story. They moved into a house on a lake. They bought jet skis. We went over there one day, and I thought it would be great to go on those jet skis because they're very open and just totally generous with them. The problem was is I'd never been on a jet ski before, and you might see where this is going. One of my best friends went in and sprayed the dock that had all of our friends on. He was a master at it, and I thought I could do the same thing. But I went up, ended up plowing into the end of that dock and actually ripping a hole in this jet ski. And I felt so bad, felt so just, you ever had that, like a weight of a million pounds on your shoulders? I had a plan concocted I was going to leave college and work for him in order to pay off the debt. And so we walked out on the dock, and I said, hey, here's what happened. And he just said these words, don't worry about it. Are you okay? Don't worry about it. Are you okay? And I battled all day long, and I said it finally again to him. And he said, don't worry about it. Stop worrying about it, or I'm going to kick your butt. And it was such a gift. It was so simple. But in that moment, in a human way, I felt that's what God's grace is like every day. We might battle with sin. We might battle with guilt. We might battle with this performance sin management gospel. And that's not the truth because what happens? We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And all of us, all of us ought to be living with freedom because of that truth. Because of that truth. And we are God's handiwork. Let me read this one more time. And then I'd like to pray to just close our time up. In Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. In other words, there's a sense to which because of the work that Jesus is doing in our hearts that we are a trophy, a masterpiece, a display to God for the world that points to something greater than us. Even in our frailty, even in our brokenness, even in our sin of how God is redeeming us, that God can point to us to say they're imperfect, but this is what it looks like to be in Christ. That's the call. Not just something that we receive, not just something that we know, but something that we actively practice every single day to grow more and more in our families, again, in our areas where we might live, workplaces in terms of whoever we might interact with. To be in Christ means that we are alive. Not on our own doing, 
but through the work of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place that only he can. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for just the gift of being able to read what you have for thousands of years for ordinary average followers of you, Jesus, that are like us. To hear these truths, that we were once separated from you, we were dead in our transgressions, but you, you stepped in, God, and you didn't leave us to ourselves. And so, Father, help us, no matter where we're at tonight, to just get a glimpse of what it looks like to be fully alive in you, to be lavished with your grace, that grace that comes to us and says, um, I've forgiven you. Help us to lean in to that grace. Help us to lean into you, Lord, and follow you and be more alive today than we were yesterday and more alive tomorrow than we were today because of the work that you're doing in our life. God, we thank you for this time and we ask that you just bless just the hearing of the word that you've had for us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said together, amen, amen.